for the World Tag Team title. Lex Luger and Sting against the Steiner brothers. And of course, some friction last week between all four men right here on TNT. Well, you know, all the critics that point their finger at Lex Luger can just put him away. This is an overzealous reaction by the Steiner brothers. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro. Our week-by-week -week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed 20 years and some odd months, a few weeks, and a couple days <laughs> from right. its original airing. I am your host, as always, Tim Root, and with me as ever is my broadcast partner stuffing his face with some death by chocolate pie, it's Dave Amantorp. I just need a little fuel for this Nitro experience. Mm, well, I hope you wanted a little diabetes for this Nitro experience, because <laughs> that's what you're getting. You, know, <laughs> <laughs> you said this whole matter of fact. <laughs> uh, it is June 3rd, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Asheville Civic Center in Asheville, North Carolina, in front of 4,500 fans, 3,500 whom paid for a total gate of $44,360. Tony Schiavone has a lot of energy this week as he welcomes us to where intensity and excitement remain. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means, uh, but he certainly does have a lot of enthusiasm, and that, and that comes through. Tony is once again wearing a banded collar this week, and Larry Zabisco has a uh, black coat over an insane 90s checkered shirt <laughs> that I could not possibly describe <laughs> if I wanted to. It, it's nuts. I'll try to remember to tweet it out. Uh, if I forget, just uh, ask me to uh, use, use hashtag, where's that shirt? <laughs> We're going to use a lot more engagement opportunities with our audience and <laughs> right. come up with a lot of hashtags, and yeah, it's a whole new paradigm. <laughs> That, see, the thing is, we have to, like, do our part then at the end, though. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I got to, <laughs> oh, shit, I said I'd do that, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> we get told that this week we're going to see Lex Luger and Sting take on the Steiners after last week's uh, fracas. Larry thinks that the Steiners are overreacting because they lack emotional control, which, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair are going to be taking on the returning Rock and Roll Express. And rumors are swirling that Bobby Heenan is going to be managing the Horsemen at the upcoming pay-per-view. Larry says that Flair is surrounding himself with the endomorphic cyborg enforcement unit known as Arn Anderson. <laughs> uh, so you remember last week when I said he was going to double down on his description? <laughs> Mission accomplished. Endomorphic cyborg enforcement unit. <laughs> wow. That is some... I Who knows where he came up I with just, that? I hope that somewhere he had a note that said endomorphic cyborg enforcement <laughs> unit. Larry adds that if they get the gray matter power of Bobby Heenan, it'll be like having Joe Montana in their corner. Okay. Uh, I don't know that you want Joe Montana in your corner. Like, you, you really want him out there playing quarterback for you or doing nothing else. <laughs> right. We see a replay of the head shaving of Shark from last week, and we go to the backstage with Gene, who's talking to the Shark, and let's go to an audio clip of that promo now. All right, uh, as a matter of fact, he is coming out right now. Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, at well over 500 pounds, this is the Shark. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Music. 
Stop the music. That is the order of Shark. Take a look up in the ring. Big Bubba must have the remnants of your hair. That had to be Shark, one of the most disgusting, one of the most despicable, actually making me physically sick to my stomach. And only half a haircut. <laughs> it is a little different, I must say that. There's a reason. There's a reason why I'm not shaving the other half off. What is that, sir? Every morning I get up, I have to look in the mirror. I relive the embarrassment. I go get my mail. The neighbors are laughing. I relive the embarrassment. Well, Shark, I got to tell you this. You take a look at what Big Bubba did to you. That's Hold on a second. I'm not the shark. I'm not a fish. I'm not an avalanche. I'm a man. John Tenta. A 500-pound man. I'm going to hurt the man that did this to me. And then I'm going to shave the head of the giant. And he'll feel the embarrassment I felt. Uh, no Whoa. pun intended, but Chuck, that would be a mighty tall order. Tony, Larry, guys, let's get back to you. How about that, Larry Zabisco? John Tenta. So there you go, guys. He's he's not a shark. He's not an avalanche. He's a man. Yeah. Oh boy, that uh, that promo was something else. Dave, what'd you make of that? Uh, well, one thing I liked when he walked down to the ring and had his head turned. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So you couldn't tell it was shaved, even though. Everyone saw it get half-shaved last week, so it's not a surprise. Um, but really doesn't do a whole lot to make himself sound intimidating, especially the whole aspect of when he goes out to get the mail that his neighbors laugh at him. <laughs> his, his whole thing is that other professional wrestlers are supposed to be scared of him, and yet his just neighbors and bumfuck wherever are laughing at the guy because he's walking around... I mean, for one thing, he's left half of his head shaved, yeah. which he tells us is, you know, essentially to remind himself of the humiliation and fuel a desire for revenge, I guess. But <laughs> uh, just sort of the, like, elephant man-esque, I'm not an animal, I'm a human being. Yeah. Like, it just, it's an embarrassing promo. Uh, by all accounts, uh, uh, John Tenta was a heck of a nice guy, um, and I, I feel bad for him, if nothing else. But, right. uh, yeah, this just does not work. This is a promo where I can kind of see on paper what they were thinking, but really in practice, I it kills a guy. Like, yeah. the character of John Tenta is dead after this. Right. Uh, one thing, I just a correction. This was actually out at um, in front of the entrance ramp. It, this was not backstage. But the thing is, uh, at, we start off with Big Bubba. He's already in the ring. He stands there in the wing, ring waiting for him to finish his promo. Uh, and also, Big Bubba is carrying Shark's hair with him from last week. Yes. Which is excessively gross yeah they they like spend their following match wrestling just on top of a pile of hair yeah loose hair <laughs> that's the worst kind of hair <laughs> just loose it's not like taped together <laughs> shivani uh, uh at the beginning of this match and, and you're going to call the match i'll throw it to you in a second but i do want to note that shivani tells us right away that some fans may be tuning in due to a uh, ad that ran in USA Today, um, and that ad listed Vader and Johnny B. Bad as being part of the show, and yeah. he just wants to let us know right away that we're not going to be seeing them. <laughs> uh, it, it, a Vader, Vader's been gone since October, um, 
and he never appeared on Nitro. He he like got in trouble right before the premiere of Nitro and then left the company before without ever making an appearance. Yeah. And of course, Bad has been gone several weeks. So that's uh, that's a very embarrassing <laughs> thing for the it, company. It's it, it's really petty that they felt like they should bring it up. Yeah. You know, there were, uh, yeah, obviously like those local advertisements are going to change because they put them out so many months ahead. Right. There's there's really no point to bring it up like, "Hey, you know, if you're tuning in because you heard locally that <laughs> these guys might wrestle, right. We're just going to point out that they wrestle for other people instead." <laughs> all right. Well, John Tenta and Big Bubba have oh, what a match and uh here to call all of the action is our own Dave Amontorp. All right. Well, after um, his little promo, John Tenta hits the ring and starts wailing away on Big Bubba as Nick Patrick singles for the opening bell. Um, that's when I also made the note that there is hair all over the ring. After a few clubbing forearms, uh, John Tenta Irish whips Bubba and dazes him with a back elbow before scooping him up for a body slam, in which Larry Zbysko says there's a 10 on the Richter scale, to which I say, why can't you just let him move on, Larry? He's not an avalanche. <laughs> uh, and then th- this is when Tony Schiavone mentions Johnny B. Bad and Vader with the uh, line, they no longer play where the big boys play. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. <laughs> Which, oh. um, so this is when I noticed that uh, there is a pair of scissors just sitting on the mat during this match. <laughs> <laughs> Referee Nick Patrick should really be taking care of that, yeah. which seems like a pretty egregious error. Uh, but then John Tenta picks up the scissors and begins threatening Bubba with said scissors, sending him scurrying to the outside and tossing the ring steps in, in frustration. Nick Patrick is also making zero effort to take away the scissors from John Tenta. So what happens? We get a count out. John Tenta wins by count out. And you, can you really blame Big Bubba? Here's a theoretically 500-pound man <laughs> wielding a pair of scissors around. It's it's ridiculous that the fact that yeah. like John Tenta gets a count of a victory for that. Yeah, I feel like holding a, a, a weapon like scissors or a knife or a gun in a wrestling <laughs> ring should be a DQ regardless of whether you use them. Right, yeah. I mean, the fact that they were left in the ring made it obvious that it was going to be something that was used later on. But, right. Um, it just... This whole it's just it this wasn't really a match. Like right. I, I was trying to do a play by play, but they, they, they do like four moves. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. It's just like the promo, it doesn't help this new character of John Tenta as himself get over. Right. Uh there's right. there's nothing that benefits him here. There's nothing that benefits Bubba. It's it's a lame angle to st- and to start off the show, especially mm-hmm. just very odd booking. I, I baffled. Yeah, I mean, I think as you'll see with these uh, now two-hour nitros that they do a considerable effort to make sure the second hour starts off really well. Right. But they don't put a good effort into the first hour. And that just seems really weird because, like, if you if they're tuning out during the first hour, they won't be there for the second right. hour. <laughs> right. So, you know, I feel like they need to put a little bit more effort into this besides uh, – you know, letting us know that John Tenta is not a uh, fish or an avalanche. <laughs> we get a commercial, and when we come back, we get a shower of sparks as out comes a new tag team, High Voltage, 
who are two epitomes of the 1990s that go by Robbie Ruckus and Kenny Chaos. Real names Robert Nampik and Kenny Stasiowski. They're both pretty green, and I don't just mean they're neon singlets. Uh, they have just come from the power plant with little to no experience prior to their time here. This is their first televised match as a team. Uh, it's Kenny's second televised experience, and literally it's Robbie's first televised experience. Yeah. Meltzer's comment on the team of High Voltage Here's two more guys who are prime examples of what you can do with your body and a drug-free hard training. <laughs> feel like he's maybe being a bit sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, they they do look pretty juiced up. Too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Meng's theme plays, and out come the Faces of Fear. Larry says you wouldn't want to meet uh, the Faces of Fear in a dark alley, but you don't need to worry. A dark alley sees these two and takes off. <laughs> I kind of liked it. It's It's a dad joke, but it's not a bad one. Uh, we see a, a guy in overalls booing. <laughs> Just want to point out that there's a gentleman wearing overalls. And he's in fr- front row, too. So, like, he's, he's a gentleman of means with overalls. <laughs> he had to cut corners on his wardrobe in order to afford the ticket. <laughs> the Barbarian and Chaos start off with a lockup broken by the ropes. Uh, and Barb... Oh, I keep... Yeah, I keep saying Barb in my notes, but I'll have to remember not to just call the man Barb. <laughs> and Barbarian kicks Chaos in the gut. In comes Ruckus for a double-team hip toss. Barbarian tries to clothesline both, but they duck for a team shoulder block. Ruckus goes for a back body drop, but gets power-bombed, and Barbarian brings in Meng, who stomps all over Chaos. Meng nails Ruckus in the face with a drop kick, as we learn that the Giant will defend his title against Ice Train tonight. Meng hits a backbreaker, and Barbarian comes back in uh, and cuts off Ruckus's crawl towards his corner. Barbarian lands a pump handle slam and gets Ruckus up on the top turnbuckle, and climbs the ropes to hit a decent top rope belly-to-belly suplex that Shivani goes absolutely apeshit for. <laughs> Meng is tanked in as the Faces of Fear hit dual top rope headbutts on uh, old Chaos. No, on Ruckus. God, these guys are so interchangeable. <laughs> Chaos tries to come in and slow the momentum, but he's tossed to the outside by Barbarian. Meng hits the Mafia kick on Ruckus for the 1-2-3. High Voltage had exactly two moves of offense in this match, the double hip toss and the double shoulder block. They didn't look completely out of place, but they definitely looked green. Yeah. I mean, they were more or less in the spots they were supposed to be, um, but they they did not impress here in, they de- in their debut. Um, also, after the match, Tony Schiavone says that it was high intensity and lived up to expectations. <laughs> You know, I will say um, they're green, and, and it wasn't amazing. I do think Faces of Fear look great. Like, I, I've been surprised. I think every time they come out, I'm like, uh, Meng's kind of boring, and the Barbarian's never been anything special. But mm-hmm. you, I'm usually digging Faces of Fear by the end of their matches. So yeah. they are, they're doing something right with that team. Mean Gene is backstage with Sting and Luger. Uh, Luger's holding his television title over his arm and gives a very low-energy, mumbling answer that Gene almost immediately interrupts, uh, (laughs) telling him to look at some footage from last week's brawl. Lex asks, are we talking about some footage here? And I can't tell if that's his character talking or if he's just legitimately asking. (laughs) He seems drunk or high or something in this whole segment. I'll probably play an audio clip uh, in here of it so the audience can kind of make up their own mind. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Inside two weeks, we're away from the Great American Bash in Baltimore on Sunday, June the 16th. Both of these gentlemen have major commitments at that spectacular. However, the question is, Lex Luger, 
after tonight, what's going to be left of you? You've got the Steiners tonight, heads up, and what we saw last week, really, I think, uh, some kind of an indication what we can expect tonight. Um, the intensity level in the last week was definitely very high, Gene. Steiner Brothers, myself, Take, take a look Stanger. what happened here last week. My Go goodness, it back. turned into a three-for-all. Are we talking about some footage here? Yes, that's for? it. Yes, here What it this is. footage demonstrates is that things got way out of hand. And what I'm saying is, and that, as you can see in that footage, the Steiner Brothers, two-on-one on, on me. I came down to cheer for my friend in a very important match, Sting, involved in a big match. Steiner came down, and things got out of hand. I'm always painted as the bad guy in all these scenarios. Hopefully, we've had a week. Cooler heads will prevail. Now, Stinger? I don't know, Sting, if Le cooler Lex. heads are going to prevail. i got to be honest with you. Lex, I know what the Steiner's argument is going to be to this whole situation because all the footage wasn't shown here. There was a time where Scotty had me set up for a suplex out on the floor, the cement floor, that is, and you kicked him in the gut. That's going to be their argument. Well, that, that you did you actually, you provoked them if you want to I do want to say something here. Steiner Brothers and I, we go way back. We go back how many years? Eight years? A long time. We're all very competitive. Tonight is a huge match. We're talking about the WCW World Tag Team titles. Indeed. Last week was a big match for both of you guys. Big reputations on the line. Mm -hmm. I was down there, but let me tell you this, Stinger. If you guys are such good friends, I'm standing there watching. And Scotty Steiner picks you up over his head on the floor. There's a suplex on the floor. The friends do that, the friends. Me, hey, hey, me, just a just second here. Wait a minute, uh, hey, gentlemen. Gene, what I want to know is why you kicked my brother and pushed him back in. Hey, there, there's a time That's and a, a place. That's a cheap shot. That is a cheap shot. And the friends suplex somebody on the floor. Let me ask you that. My brother was trying to win. Hey, on the floor, listen, I was trying to win, too. To the, win. the bottom line is if Lex was going to get suplexed by anybody on the floor, I might have to kick somebody in the gut, too. So I don't know if that's such a cheap shot. Hey, well, I minute. guess that's what's going to happen. If you stick your nose in tonight and cheap shot it, that's what is going to happen. Scott, you know I me, Gene, I took this match with Sting last week for tonight, the rest for the tag team titles. And Lex Luger, you get remiss with me. No, I'm pointing at you right now. I'm going to point at you now. I'm going to jack you in the ring if you get me hot. I knew this would happen. No. We're trying to have an interview here. Number one, you barge into our locker room and you start talking trash. You guys had a match last week. You thought you had something last week. Well, let me tell you, Scotty, it's going to get a lot more intense this week. Hey, hey, you hey, guys. Hey, wait hey, a minute. Hey, just a second, hey, gentlemen. Hey, I'm not going to condone that. Get up. We're going to cut you off the air. I will never interview you people again if you're going to come in here like a bunch of, I just can't believe this thing. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that gives you some kind of an idea. The level of intensity between these four men pushing, shoving, and verbally abusing each other. That will be part of WCW Monday Nitro later tonight. Head on the Steiners and Luger and Sting. Tony, let's get back to you and Larry. Despite being clearly confused as to whether there even is any footage, Lex says that the footage proves that things got out of hand and that the Steiners two-on-one to me. Two-on-one to me? Yeah, two-on-one as if that's a, a verb that we all just <laughs> use in our day-to-day -day lives. Lex says that people always say that he's the bad guy, but look at the way the Steiners acted. Sting points out that Scott did have the Stinger up for a suplex when Lex kicked him in the gut. He's like, Lex, I mean, come on, Steiner was about to beat me and you kicked him. There's, there's a reason they're mad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Luger points out that, uh, they were, that the suplex was going to be on the, uh, on the cement. Lex says that he and the Steiners go way back, almost eight years, which Whoa. I'm not sure that's way back, really, but what a, that's fine. That, I guess that's subjective. <laughs> Lex then just kind of rambles free association style until Rick comes in and starts yelling. 
Scott is with him, and all four men just scream nonsensically <laughs> at each other. <laughs> Things get a bit physical, and Gene Okerlund gets fucking pissed. <laughs> He's just screaming like, if, if I ever used to do this, I'm never interviewing you people again. <laughs> he just flips out. It's hilarious. Gene throws it back to Tony, who only says, well, I tell you, before a Hulk vi- promo video plays. <laughs> Uh, we just see clips of Hogan hitting guys and hear an old clip of him saying that he wants the title. Uh, we we kind of see this throughout the night. Um, when they go to commercial, they'll play these very short promo videos, mm-hmm. uh, which will either show a little bit of action and then you'll hear the guy in question do kind of a voiceover promo. Or sometimes we'll actually have like the kind of um, in front of a black screen, the guy will be actually cutting a promo. Yeah. They're very short. But uh, as we'll talk about over this episode and a little bit the next, they do give some some short preview time, excuse me, some short promo time uh, to guys that we don't normally get a chance to hear from very often. Right. So yeah. I think they're actually kind of great. After a commercial, we come back to what Shivani calls the number one television program for pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and in the arena, a horrifying case of disco fever has broken out here oh, at the Asheville no. Civic Center. Oh, no. Is there a cure? <laughs> The only cure is Disco Inferno, who comes out all smiles. <laughs> Three middle-aged white women in the crowd fucking love Disco's dancing. Yes. They do uh, They do that thing where they like interlock their fingers and then kind of make waves with their arms. Oh, yeah. And they just think that they're so funny. They're having... <laughs> they definitely have had a bunch of white wine before they showed up, and they are loving it. I actually, uh, way back when I was researching this episode the first time, which was way back in May of last year, I tweeted a picture of those women and tagged Disco in it, and he definitely liked that picture, like, right quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, was, I was pretty happy about that one. A guy in the crowd has a very cool Gangsta's t-shirt, which is a cool piece of ECW merch. That's the... Uh, yeah. The New Jack and uh, Mustafa. Mustafa. Yeah. 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 So I thought that was a, a neat shirt that he had. Out comes Pittman along with manager Teddy Long. He is now wearing a comical number of medals around his neck. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> Not only is he a Marine, but he's apparently some kind of war hero <laughs> because he's got a fuck ton of medals. <laughs> it's ridiculous. There's no way he really won. Like, oh, you know what they probably are? They're probably medals from his amateur wrestling career. I guess I would believe that. Yeah, but, it, I mean, he went from not having any medals to having all the medals. It's hilarious. <laughs> Shivani lets us know that Bobby Heenan said on main event last Sunday that he would announce on tonight's Nitro if uh, Heenan will indeed be managing the Horsemen at the Great American Bash or not. So we've yeah. got that announcement to look forward to later. Disco starts off asking the ref to keep Pittman away from him. Disco's pants say Monday Night Fever, which Shivani describes as being tattooed on Disco's posterior. <laughs> so I don't know if he knows how pants or tattoos work. <laughs> or if he knows something that we don't. <laughs> Off the ropes, Disco goes for an arm drag, and Pittman fucks it up somehow in ways I'm not really clear on. <laughs> but he, he keeps his arm hooked around Disco and uses it for his own arm drag and, an, uh, arm drag and a hold of his own. Disco gets his feet on the ropes to force a break, and they both get to their feet. A lockup, and Pittman sends Disco off the ropes. Disco drops down, and Pittman runs over him. Disco pops back up and nails Pittman with the right hand when the former Marine amateur wrestling champion turns around. Disco dances, and Pittman turns it into an amateur suplex. An amateur suplex? I don't know what that (laughs) means, but I'm not watching it again to find out. And follows it with a messy powerbomb for two. 
Teddy Long messes with Disco's hair in the corner, and Disco gets pissed. <laughs> he hits some more punches, but Pittman's head is very hard because he is black. Pittman then... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just amused at myself. Pittman then hits a battering ram and tries for the code red, but the bell rings. The announcers are confused, but quickly learn that Disco immediately submitted at the mere suggestion of the hold being locked on. The camera gets close up on Disco in the corner, who tells us... If I would have let him hit that thing, I couldn't have done this anymore. And then he does that snaky arm move that those women were using earlier. Fucking genius. <laughs> yes. So funny. I, I like that he referred to his submission move as hitting that thing. <laughs> he then points at his brain. Because yep. that's how you let people know how smart you are. <laughs> right. Yeah, this was uh, classic. Dis- I mean, this is exactly the kind of thing Disco Inferno should be doing. Yeah. It yeah. was perfect. Um, the I only I only have a few notes from this match, but I I noted that Disco Inferno, he's one of the few people to, that can look good in defeat. Yes, and, absolutely. And he does he, not need to win to be a valuable part of the show. Yeah, and and the fact was like when he showed up, I was like, this show has been missing him for a while. Absolutely. You know, let's let's ease up on the John Tenta and get more Disco Inferno out there. Uh, Meltzer noted in the Observer um, that apparently. That finish is sort of, I don't. I guess I don't know if it was intended to be, or at least it happened around the same time as a uh, Ultimate Fighting Championship match that ended very similarly, where a guy was like just got an armbar on, like, and within a millisecond, the guy was like, "No, no, no!" I'm like yeah. just at the idea that it was going to be locked on, right? So it might be some kind of rib on that. I don't know. As we go to a commercial, we see the basis for the upcoming Sting-Regal match that's happening at Great American Bash. Uh, you might remember last week, Regal wanted a match with Sting. Well, we see that on main event, Regal confronted Sting in a backstage area and challenged him to a match. After Regal turned his back on Sting, Stinger reached down and grabbed Regal's arm and turned him around, and Regal, Regal whirled around and completely bitch-slapped Sting. Yeah. Uh, so that's sort of the setup for the match. In his book, Regal notes that uh, because he hit Sting so hard, Sting swore and had to be bleeped out, but they kept that moment in otherwise. <laughs> yeah, well, I, the idea was that he was hitting him with a backhand, which was like a sign of disrespect. And I, for this feud and that like segment backstage is something that always stuck with me. But I forgot of how hard he hit him. He really nails him like, in the face. He wallops him. Yeah. <laughs> and Sting, like, he falls back in his chair, and you could tell that's not just reacting to it. He he was, like, he was knocked for a loop there. Yeah. Next up, we have a, a doozy of a match, as Lord Steven Regal is here to take on Jim Duggan, and here to call all of the action is our own Dave Amantorp. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I like the fact that um, that Stephen Regal, after making that challenge to Sting last week, isn't just forgotten the next week, as sometimes WCW does. So it's good to see that he's he's in action. And then not only that, we find out that he's getting a match with Sting at Great American Bash, which is pretty much the biggest match at that point of his career. Absolutely. Um, so it, it, it's pretty cool that, that they're they're still going with it instead of like, a lot of the times they just kind of throw things on the wall to see what sticks and then forget them. But uh, I'm looking forward to that, especially uh, if, if Steven Regal decides that he wants to, like, get stiff with Sting, which mm-hmm. could make it pretty awesome. Lord Steven Regal comes out first, and he is uh, he's visibly perturbed by the smoky entrance that he's given. He's waving off the smoke and is very upset about the whole thing. Um, at this point, I just kind of wanted to 
to make mention that, you know, Lord Stephen Regal was such a typical British gimmick. And nine times out of ten, that would have left him just, like, floundering on, like, main event or something like that. Um, So it just really goes to show what a tremendous talent Regal was, not just in the ring, but, like, selling his character to the fans Mm -hmm. that it, it really should have just kind of, like, typecast him and not you wouldn't see a lot of success from a guy like that but yeah you know just uh just really good he's really good yeah what i'm trying to get at <laughs> he's really good at uh getting into the ring and calling some woman in the front row a fat cow <laughs> yes because that happens and it was hilarious I, <laughs> even as a fat guy i was like yeah you got her yeah. I don't even remember if she was that fat, but she definitely was like a kind of a rube, yeah. like <laughs> a real yokel. <laughs> Speaking of floundering on WSW main event, here comes Hacksaw Jim Duggan, <laughs> and that's where he should be. These two guys are like the masters of weird ass facial expressions. Yes. I, I don't know that Hacksaw is always in control of his, but he's, <laughs> he's right. certainly capable of some bizarre facial expressions. <laughs> and unfortunately for Steven Regal, uh, a, a character like Hacksaw Jim Duggan plays well against him. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's unfortunate that means he has to face Hacksaw yeah. a lot, but uh, the way these two characters uh, uh, react with each other is pretty uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, you've got the the snobby anti-American Brit, and then you've got, like, not only is De- Hacksaw's whole thing getting people to chant USA and stuff, but he's like a slobby ridiculous american like yeah he's a little overweight even though he's you know he's athletic he kick my ass don't get me wrong but right. but uh uh it is like he's the perfect type of american foil for because like regal could say a bunch of things about hacksaw that would be a hundred percent true right and hacksaw just needs to go you are saying and everyone will be like <laughs> right. oh you know like everyone will be on his side anyway <laughs> uh so right now Right away, we're getting some vintage uh, Lord Stephen Regal outside of the ring as he's disgusted by fans, by the chanting, and just Hacksaw Jim Duggan in general. Once he gets back in the ring, he watches in, like, shock disbelief as Hacksaw stomps around the ring. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Larry Zbysko is trying to shoehorn some sort of reference to the Revolutionary War, but uh, to be honest, I just didn't care enough to transcribe those comments. It's just, sure. Um, and in tradition... And in the time honor tradition, as all WCW Nitro matches are, we begin with a collar nibble tie-up that reaches the corner. The referee makes the two break it up. Again, Duggan stomps around the ring and starts an enthusiastic USA chant. The one thing's for sure, no matter how you feel about Jim Duggan being like having no talent or anything like that, uh, he was definitely and is definitely popular with the fans. Another collar and elbow tie-up returns to the same corner where Regal catches him by surprise with a forearm shiver. Uh, Regal's attempt at an Irish whip is reversed by Duggan, who shouts ho as he's reversing him for the Irish whip, <laughs> which which I, I thought was pretty awesome. Yeah, that is nice. Uh, Regal ducks a back elbow, but then is hit with a flurry of clotheslines to send him outside of the ring to regroup. Uh, once back in the ring, Hacksaw offers Regal a free punch but blocks it and hits his lordship with a series of rights. The last one, a wind-up punch that drops him. Just another little heelish touch 
from Duggan. Right. To do the, you can punch me in the face. Ha ha, I blocked it and punched you in the face, you dumb idiot. <laughs> right. And, and that's a point where you kind of remember that Duggan is also a Hogan stooge. Yes. And then Hogan is the, the heelest face of all time. Uh, Regal begs off as Hacksaw hose again. Hacksaw whips Regal into the ropes for a back body drop attempt, only to get kicked in the chest. Regal tries for a headlock, but Duggan was already hanging onto the was already hanging over the middle rope. Uh, Regal hits a European uppercut, but Duggan starts to I don't know hacksaw up, <laughs> Duggan up, whatever it is. But yeah. it's when he's stomping around, you can't hurt him. He punches and punches, but Regal gets away with an eye poke. After dropping Hacksaw with a snapmare takedown, Regal comes off the ropes for a forward, forward, like a forward flip. But uh, Duggan moves because Lord Steven Regal's wrestling repertoire does not include a forward flip. <laughs> uh, more punches, an Irish trip to the turnbuckle, and a back body drop. And I just listed most of Hacksaw Jim Duggan's moves. Ayo. <laughs> uh, at this point, Squire Dave Taylor, Jeeves, and Earl Robert Eaton make their presence known outside the ring. This is such a surprisingly big faction. <laughs> know, like right? you don't really think of it that way but jesus there are a lot of guys in regal's little group of like snobby brit guys I, I and i also i just tend to forget about dave taylor right i mean him and earl robert Eaton as a blue bloods yes and they have jeeves yep. but dave taylor just kind of like falls between the cracks i would say that i think of him a lot just because he he was on colt cabana's podcast and he's super charming Oh, yeah. Like, I just remember listening and just thinking, like, this guy just sounds like a hell of a fun guy to, like, yeah. sit back and shoot the shit with. <laughs> so I would kind of put him on my list of, like, unimportant guys who I, for whatever reason, just really like anyway. Yeah. Um, and since the, the Blue Bloods faction, as you will, came to the ring, of course, Hacksaw hits Regal with his amazing finisher, the running clothesline. It's now just Hacksaw being Hacksaw as he immediately goes for the two-by-four instead of the pin, which is snatched away from him by Dave Taylor before he could give old Regal's noggin a floggin. (laughs) Boo. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dave Taylor runs around and celebrates getting this two-by-four as if he just won the championship. (laughs) As Hacksaw, undeterred, immediately starts wrapping his hand up in tape. Well, uh, if I can't cheat that way, I'll just cheat this way. <laughs> right. Uh, Hacksaw nails Earl Robert Eaton, who is on the ring apron with the loaded fist, but that gives Regal the opportunity to schoolboy him with a handful of tights for a three count. Uh, and I made a note that Lord Stephen Regal is going to have a tough time being Sting if he needs this much help to beat Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yeah, I have kind of a very similar note. I mean, clearly they gave Regal a win because he needs to be on a winning streak because he's about to face Sting. Yeah. So he had one over Alex Wright last week, which beating Alex Wright doesn't mean very much. Right. I like Alex Wright, but yeah. it just it doesn't mean much. And now he barely squeaks by Duggan in this match where he needed like eight guys to do it, and he barely did it. Yeah. And it's so weird. It's just more weird, this this heelish baby face thing that, that some of these guys have going because like – Duggan tries to cheat about four different times in this match or uses like just different cheap shots and stuff. Right. And yet Regal is the heel because he used a roll up, which is a completely legal maneuver to get this victory. (laughs) So I don't I just don't think this is good booking because I don't think this makes Regal. It doesn't give him the momentum that the idea on paper is, Mm -hmm. you know, 
Uh, we've seen just last week how many jobbers they're capable of throwing out there. Yeah. Just throw him a jobber and have him dominate the guy in three minutes and put on a painful-looking submission, mm-hmm. and that's that's it. You know, I don't I don't get the point of this at all. Yeah, I mean, in the opposite of the previous match in which Disco Inferno looked really great in defeat, mm-hmm. Steve Regal looks pretty bad in victory here. Yes, so great it, point. It really does not help him out, especially since he's going to be having the biggest match of his career if it looks like he can barely beat anyone without help. All right. Well, let's see if he can redeem himself on the mic as he and his coterie of uh, snobs are in the ring along with Gene Okerlund. And let's go to an audio clip. You've got the Blue Bloods working here like the back room at Kathy Lee Gifford's shop. Earlier today, you were reprimanded very heavily by World Championship Wrestling. You paid dearly, your lordship. I was reprimanded very, very highly with a large fine that most of you bloody peasants wouldn't earn in a year. But I saved the trouble for WCW. I paid double the fine, so now I'm in bloody credit. Time to listen to me. Let, let's, let's, show, let's show these folks exactly why you were fined. It happened this past weekend. I'm going to make an example WCW's of you. WCW's so main WCW event. I was there get for the police. Get, get out of here. Get out of here. He's got the police back there. You slapped the thing. It was totally yeah, uncalled for. Hey, hey, hey. I could have done what he all these other bloody idiotic wrestlers here would have done. You slapped another man. I could have come here and insulted Sting, insulted his family, insulted his friends. But being the man Sting is, he doesn't love anybody else except for himself. When I get Sting in the ring at the Great American Bass, I want Sting at his best, not at his most half-hearted. I want this man mean, I want him nasty, I want him downright bloody rude. And I am going to show the world as I beat this man at his best, right in the middle of my home here. All right, that match is going to be taking place live on pay-per-view. I am sorry, Lord Steven Regal. You better get the troops together. And so there you go. Uh, Okerlund starts off with a super forced reference to uh, the scandal that was, I remember this being kind of the news at the time, uh, football star uh, and Monday night football commentator Frank Gifford's uh, wife, Kathy Lee Gifford, who mm-hmm. I believe at this point was hosting Regis and Kathy Lee. Yeah. She had a line of clothes that was sold at, I don't like, Kmart or Macy's or somewhere mm-hmm. and it became a big story that uh, the clothes were made using sweatshop labor and she went on either her show or the news or something and cried I remember like yeah. I remember then people being like making fun of her for crying mm-hmm. which is also like I, I don't know her as a person but it seems like that's about the best she could do to look like she felt really bad about it but instead <laughs> it was like look at you cry you dumb idiot <laughs> I don't know Felt bad for uh, old Kathy Lee. But the, the reference here by Gene is so forced. Yeah. But then Regal kind of saves it by, like, nearly murdering himself with an eye roll. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> his eyes practically roll out of his head. He He's just, what is... T- <laughs> You're right. I actually tried to find a, a gif of it um, so that I could put it on Twitter when, the, yeah. t- when this episode drops because it's hilarious. But if you go to this uh, episode of Nitro, you don't have to watch very far in to catch this eye roll because it's <laughs> goddamn hilarious. One of these days, I'm going to figure out how the fuck you make gifts so I could load some of these moments. But yeah. uh, in all honesty, I'm probably never going to do that. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? One of you guys out there like uh, Drucifer, uh, one, of you, one, of you, one of you fans uh, with, with 
technical know-how. Make make gifs of things for me. <laughs> if I describe a funny thing, then make a gif of it. What are you doing? Hey, what are you <laughs> get, doing? Get off your ass and make a gif already. <laughs> You're just sitting over there. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, Regal then says that uh, he was fined for that backhand on Sting, but he not only paid the fine, but he paid double so he would have credit for the next time. <laughs> That's great. I love that. That is so good. I love that line because... <laughs> It's like he's getting over as a heel for paying a fine. Yeah. But also, like, I'm going to do something else to Sting, and I'm going to need this money as credit. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> he also has a great line after that saying he wants Sting he wants Sting mean, nasty, and downright bloody rude at the Great American <laughs> Bash. Man, this is a good promo. Uh, Short, but every single element of it is on fire. Yeah. Even, even Okerlund, because I think his job is to deliver shitty jokes. Like... Yeah, he, he often we've seen him referencing like uh, just dumb pop culture things that have nothing to do with anything. And I think it's just part of the role he's supposed to play. Right. We get a commercial and uh, we find out from some footage that the Taskmaster is going to be up next. Uh, he has one of those little pre-commercial promos I was talking about, uh, talking about what he's uh, going to do to Benoit coming up in their match at the Great American Bash. Uh, as we come back, Tony tells us that there have been problems in the past between the Dungeon and the Horsemen, but they're now between just two men, the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit. This feud has been happening everywhere but Nitro, so I don't think that we've mentioned it much previously. I know we did a little bit on last week's episode, and I know we mentioned it a bit in our Slamboree results a couple episodes ago. Uh, this recap video we get now explains a bit, but not really the full history. Essentially, after Pillman left WCW, they transferred the heat the, of the, his program with Sullivan to Benoit. Benoit is still a horseman, though he's rarely seen on Nitro as he's doing most of his wrestling in Japan, except for when he comes back for Saturday night tapings. So that's why kind of most of this feud that I'm about to run through is happening on Saturday night. Yeah. Benoit feels that Arn has never satisfactorily explained why he let Sullivan run Pillman off. You know, you're supposed to be the horseman. This guy from a different group ran off one of your guys. And uh, it's he, you know, Benoit's pissed that Arn is kind of off doing this whole football thing with Flair and not worrying about, you know, the whole Sullivan aspect of it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so they have kind of a confrontation on uh, Saturday night on the April 27th episode specifically. Um, and Sullivan kind of overhears that and comes in and confronts Benoit. So there's a little it's just kind of a promo where they yell at each other on the May 5th Saturday night. Benoit again confronted Arn, this time more forcefully, and Sullivan once again interrupted with threats. It was more of the same and yet another backstage promo segment on the May 18th Saturday night. Then at Slamboree, Sullivan and Benoit were teamed together, and Sullivan held Benoit down on a table in their lethal lottery match against Public Enemy, uh, allowing Public Enemy to nail the crippler through the table. Last week on Saturday night, Sullivan cut another promo on Benoit, calling him a serpent and saying he was going to be doing the horseman a favor by squashing Benoit at the Great American Bash. Out comes Sullivan for some in-ring action. His opponent has got the jobber entrance, but he will have a place in some future Nitros, so I'm going to give him the full 20 years of Nitro proper introduction. He is Prince Iakea, a.k.a. Mike Hanor, a Dean Malenko trainee. He is a judo black belt and amateur wrestler who trained a bit in the past with Sergeant Craig Pittman. WCW used him as a cadet in a little storyline way back between Cobra and Pittman that obviously did not take place on Nitro. Right. Uh, and Kevin Sullivan was so impressed by this kid's professionalism and his love of professional wrestling that he offered him an opportunity to try out for WCW. 
Iakea has had a few losing efforts on Saturday night under his own name before Sullivan renamed him Prince Iakea in honor of King Curtis Iakea, one of Sullivan's heroes, who of course played the master in the Dungeon of Doom skits. Oh, wow. So yeah, uh, if you listen to any of the Sullivan podcasts um, where he kind of recounts Nitro episode by episode, he is a huge fan of King Curtis. That's why he brought him over to play the master. Mm -hmm. So um, even though Prince Iakea is nothing but a jobber here, you can tell that there's got to be some kind of big plan for him by the fact that he gave him this name of one of his heroes, even though yeah. there is no real relation between the two. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, here to call all the action for Prince Iakea and Kevin Sullivan is our own Dave Amantorp. Take it away, Dave. All right. Well, Prince Iakea is uh, already in the ring, so that doesn't bode well for him. <laughs> and Sullivan immediately starts wailing on him in the corner with chops as the bell rings. R- random question. I don't know if you remember the answer to this, because I was just wondering how many instances there are where, like, especially on a debut, that a guy with a jobber entrance actually gets the win. Yeah. I was wondering, do you think the one, two, three kid got a jobber entrance in the famous match where he beat Razor? I don't know. I, I feel I, like he did, but it's been a while since I watched that episode. You know, I think someone that I think did get the jobber entrance was Goldberg. Interesting. For against Hugh Morris. I have to like look again to verify that, but I'm pretty sure because you don't yeah. you, you never hear his theme music. Well, we will find out at some point in the future. <laughs> Way in the future. Uh okay, so uh all the chopping turns into punches before Sullivan tosses IK out of the ring. Uh, as we mentioned before, this is the uh, Nitro debut for Ikea, who Tony Schiavone said had an impressive debut on Saturday night in a win over unnamed opponent. And research showed that the opponent was the gambler. So the word impressive is being used loosely here. Mm, guess you got to know when to fold them. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, just a fun thing about the gambler, because the gambler was like a, a, a Saturday night mainstay. Like, he never shows up on Nitro, but he's, right. on, he's on Saturday Night a lot. Uh, his his tights have, like, the four aces on the back. And uh, Dusty Rhodes loses his mind every time he sees that. He, <laughs> yeah. just, he just thinks it's the neatest thing that he has, like, aces on his tights. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till we get some Dusty commentary on this show. Yeah. Um, oh, we'll have him for the pay-per-view. I'm pretty sure he's going to be doing the pay-per-view for yep. American yep. Bash, so... That's probably a good time to, uh, even though I have pizza in my mouth, probably a good time to uh, let everyone know that now that we are no longer held to the uh, weekly schedule that we were on when we were trying to do exactly 20 years, Mm -hmm. we are going to do some episodes for pay-per-views. Now, what exactly those look like I think is up in the air. I don't want to cover them as in-depth because these podcasts are already very long, and if we do a three-hour show, they'll, they'll get a little ridiculous, but... Um, we'll do maybe kind of a mini episode where we talk about the results and just, you know, go over the pay-per-view and any historical events. Maybe even we've talked about recording like commentary tracks, uh, like I know other podcasts have done for events maybe, uh, in the future. So we'll look at incorporating pay-per-views cause now that we're not, um, cause doing, doing, uh, a nitro every single week and then also throwing in a pay-per-view once a month, it, it just would have been impossible. But yeah. at this point, now that we're on a relaxed schedule, uh, I don't see why we couldn't throw pay-per-view coverage into this as well. Yeah, and it and it seems now that their Nitro is being more incorporated storyline wise into the pay per views, whereas at the beginning they kind of left those separate. Right. So uh, it, it seems like it's more important now, especially with uh, the that 
really big storyline that's just starting up now uh, to have the pay-per-views in there. So, And maybe by the time we get to there, uh, Thunder will be on the network. Ooh. I really want to cover Thunder because <laughs> I hear it's just a shit show. <laughs> yeah, I... Th- yeah, it would be hard not to do a little bit of thunder. Yeah, at Tw- least at least some. Twenty years of thunder. <laughs> um. Okay. Okay. So we have Sullivan and IKEA outside of the ring. Uh, Sullivan throws IKEA into the ring steps and then crotches him on the barricade. After clotheslining him to the arena floor, Sullivan throws IKEA back in the ring, and after punching him a cu- couple of times, he places him in the tree of woe. Sullivan uh, goes to the opposite corner. Uh, rushes and hits a knee in the gut, then hits a double spot, double stomp, and gets the easy one, two, three victory. So, uh, you know, I guess it's pretty much an enhancement match for uh, Kevin Sullivan, especially since there he has a pay per view match coming up in which his opponent is just unable to be on Nitro. Right. I, I see. I understand the fact of Sullivan being out here, and uh, yeah, I I think it's probably good for him to wipe someone out because like. I just I, I think a lot of people don't find him very physically intimidating. <laughs> he looks like a big baby, as I've said many <laughs> right. times. Uh, uh, but you're right. He does have to sell the pay-per-view match completely on his own as Benoit is in Japan. And to that effect, let's go to an audio clip as Mean Gene Okerlund is in the ring with the Taskmaster and Jimmy Hart. All right. I thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. I see uh, Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, a couple of your fans here. They're dressed to the nines. Very good looking. Now, Jimmy Hart. Coming up at the Great American Bash, the Taskmaster to meet Chris Benoit. A lot of friction between these two men as we saw moments ago. You know, Taskmaster, sometimes when I talk to you, man, I feel like I'm talking to a brick wall. Why in the world do we have to bond ourselves with Ric Flair and Iron Anderson, the Four Horsemen? Man, we've got everything happening for us in the Dungeon of Doom. We've got the WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World, the Giant. We don't need anything or anybody else. You know, Kevin Sullivan, if you take a look at it, you've got your work cut out for you on the 16th of June in Baltimore, Maryland, one-on-one with Chris Benoit. Make no mistake about it, he is sensational. Well, I have a story to tell you. You see, there happens to be two wars going on in WCW. Let the legal department handle the first one, and the second one, Jimmy, this Hulkamania is not dead. By no means. He will come back, and he'll be looking for some people, including the giant, including you, including me, and the only two people I respect in the wrestling business. That's Iron Anderson and Ric Flair. You hear that chant? It's Hogan. Well, it's real simple. Aaron, I told you about Brian Pillman. The last time he faced me, he quit. The only man to quit the Four Horsemen, he was a quitter. Rick Flair, Aaron Anderson, Ben was no quitter. But I'll tell you this, I know serpents. Better than anybody in this planet. And the way you get rid of a serpent is you crush the egg. So, Gene, what I'm going to do, it's not for just the Dungeon of Doom. 
This is an ally. I'm gonna get rid of Benoit, so we'll get rid of Hogan. Thank you very much, Kevin Sullivan. Stay tuned, more Monday Nitro coming up here on TV. So there you go, Jimmy Hart starts off, and he does not want the dungeon to involve themselves with other groups. He doesn't see any profit in it, mm -hmm. as they have the title on the giant, and there's really no reason for them to mess around with anything else. Yeah. Sullivan actually does a decent bit of uh, laying out some reasoning for why this match should happen. He says that there are two wars going on with WCW. The legal department will handle the first, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the the Scott Hall thing. Yeah. And I think it's kind of smart to have him con uh, mention that because they've kind of hinted to the smart fans before about him being the booker and kind of talking about those things. Yeah. So having him mention that legal department thing, mm -hmm. I think it's kind of subtle and kind of smart. Yeah. I like it. And he says the second one is the Dungeon of Doom who are still trying to kill Hulkamania. You know, even though Hulk's not around, he points out that Hulkamania is not dead. And the long and the short of it is that he feels like Benoit is dragging the horseman down and he's going to need the horseman's help to defeat Hulkamania. So he's taking out their weak link so that when Hulkamania returns, mm -hmm. Flair and Arn will kind of owe him one and they'll help him out. Now, it's kind of convoluted. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it's more than more than kind of. Yeah, but it at least gives like a solid foundation for why there should be a match. Yeah, or at least why his character believes there should be a match. Right, he has reasoning where it's like, I I am a I'm still a friend of Arn and Flair. I don't like the people that he they've been teaming with, and I think their careers will be better off without them. And the fact that he got rid of one of them, uh, yeah. in, in storyline terms with Pillman. And Flair and Arn don't really hate him for it. <laughs> right? It kind of gives his character like uh, enough motivation to say, like, yeah, they won't admit it, but they are happy at yeah. what I'm doing, you know. And it essentially gives him the go ahead to uh, take care of the other one, the other uh, serpent egg, or however. <laughs> yeah. The way to kill a serpent is to crush the egg before it's born. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, mean, I think the way to kill anything is to <laughs> find it before it's born and kill it. <laughs> right. It seems like a pretty effective strategy for all life. It just, the analogy is like, I mean, I get where he yeah. was going with, but like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Um, also, I made a note that, uh, that when Gene Okerlund was standing with them, all three are virtually the same height. That's and, a good point, yeah. And, and when I when I saw that, it kind of weirded me out, <laughs> especially since Gene Okerlund is really short. Right. We get a commercial, and when we come back, out come the Rock and Roll Express, who would likely have not needed any introduction to most WCW fans in 1996, uh, but I will still give them one now here in 2017. Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson were a legendary tag team in the 1970s and 80s, winning the NWA tag team titles eight times. They formed in the famed Memphis territory and spent much of their time in Mid-South Wrestling, the AWA, Jim Crockett Promotions, and WCW. Most of that time was spent feuding with their famous rivals, the Midnight Express, though they also often worked with the Four Horsemen, including a very high-profile series of matches between Flair and Morton, uh, who was a huge hit with young women at the time. Their biggest match came in a steel cage at the 1986 Great American Bash for Flair's world title. Morton lost that match and never won any world title, but it did raise the profile of the team. They eventually split in early 90s WCW when Gibson turned on Morton, but that feud went absolutely nowhere, and they both soon left WCW and reformed as a team in Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling. As I mentioned in an episode last fall, Smoky Mountain Wrestling has closed up shop, and Gibson and Morton are now back in WCW. The Horsemen uh, come out accompanied by Woman and Miss Elizabeth, as usual. 
Flair is in a Kevin Green jersey and Arn in one of Mongo's. Flair is in full-on crazy coked-up mode on his way to the <laughs> ring. He's miming football moves, playing to the crowd, and just generally being a complete madman. <laughs> um, when you were mentioning, was, um, was it Morton that had the uh, pay-per-view title match? Yes. Yeah, uh, for some reason in like the mid or late 80s, Ric Flair was having a lot of like high-profile matches with like him and like Road Warrior Hawk. Yeah. I, I don't know if he, it was just like, I just want to work a program with him, and since I'm always the champion. <laughs> well, the Rock and Roll Express were really over, and Ricky Morton's popularity with girls, I think, was the main reason for that. Okay. So it made sense to put him in a main event program, and I think it also probably made sense to never put the belt on him. Um, but he was more than just, like, some tag team guy. They were really, really over. Yeah. And uh, the ladies wanted to bone old Rick Morton. <laughs> uh, at this point in 1996, <laughs> it's... Another story altogether. Right. These guys look 10 years older than they actually are. I think they're like 39 or 38 or something like yeah. that. But they look like in their 50. They look like dads. Mm-hmm. Robert Gibson is balding, but they both have mullets. It's it's embarrassing. Yeah. It's it's I don't I mean, they're a legendary team, but it is ridiculous at this point. Yeah, they're not they're not really made for TV at this point. I, maybe if they change their hairstyles up, but they were very committed. I mean, I believe Ricky Morton is still rocking that hairstyle to this day. Mm-hmm. If you look up him at like any kind of fan event, uh, so he is he's committed to the gimmick. Yeah, uh, that's for sure. This was this was one of those moments where I I texted him, and yeah. it was just the remark of how awful they look. Yeah, it's it's unpleasant. <laughs> uh, I also I I really like the touch of uh, Flair and Anderson wearing the jerseys. Yes. And uh, especially the the women having to get Arn Anderson's uh, jersey off of him because he's so muscular. <laughs> yes. He's so or whatever. And or, he'll come he'll come back to that point later. Oh yeah. yeah. I he was a he was impressed with that little yeah. that little shtick. Right before the match starts, we get a little stick of dynamite graphic in the bottom right corner of the screen with a 60-second <laughs> countdown uh, which is going to take us to the second hour of Raw. I guess it makes sense that we're on TNT. Uh, I the dynamite thing I've been confused about until now, but now it makes sense. So we're yeah. on TNT. It's countdown. We're gonna explode an hour two. It's just it's so corny. I imagine that a large part of the hype uh, in hyping up that transition is to keep people from switching to RAW because like you think, oh my, something's really gonna happen. I mean, they got this oh. dynamite countdown. Yeah, you know? it is. It is a little over the top though. Uh, Tony says things will literally explode in forty seconds. <laughs> Okay. Arn and Ricky lock up and Arn tosses Ricky down. Morton has words with Flair before he and Arn collide with a big shoulder block from Arn, sending Ricky to the floor. They stall in the ring as Pyro explodes mid-match to signal the start of Hour 2 as Bischoff and Brain take over. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. Luckily, I'm happy to say they figure it out by next week, and I don't think they'll do it this way again. I hope. Um, <laughs> I I can't promise. But anything. in the middle of the match, to have Pyro and new announcers hyping it up as you're just started, as if it's a new show, mm-hmm. is ridiculous. And the way that the wrestlers just stand in the ring, waiting for the Pyro to end. Yeah. And one of them, I forget who, I think it's Gibson, noticeably flinches when the Pyro starts because why would he be expecting Pyro in the middle of his goddamn match? <laughs> why would anyone expect that? <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> As we finally get back to the ring, Morton is in full control of the Enforcer. 
Arn makes his way to the corner, and Flair comes into massive woos from the hometown crowd, as we are in uh, North Carolina. Flair and Morton lock up and go to the corner. Morton hits a right hand, and Flair comes back with a chop, and they start wailing on each other. Morton gets the better of things and soon hits a back body drop and tags in Gibson. Brain gives us a bit of context on the Rock and Roll Express, saying that they've won the titles eight times, we're the youngest team ever to win it, uh, which I might not point that out now that they look so old. I might. It just it just highlights like how long they've been doing this, I yeah, guess. Yep. And he mentions that they pioneered the quick tag in and tag out style. Flair and Arn regroup on the outside as the valets sip champagne. Anderson comes in and locks up with Gibson, but Gibson gets on a side headlock. Arn shoots him off the ropes and elbows him to the mat, but then misses two elbow drops. Uh, I just wanted to point out that uh, when they show Miss Elizabeth and woman drinking champagne at ringside, Eric Bischoff said they look like a couple of confident campers. (laughs) (laughs) Gibson nails Arn's head into a turnbuckle and hits a flying crossbody as Bischoff asks Brain about a mysterious metal briefcase that Bobby has apparently brought with him. I wonder if it's Lex's briefcase uh, from a few weeks back that he just apparently travels with. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Gibson gets the two count off the flying crossbody and Arn tags in Flair. Shoulder block from Flair followed by a drop toe hold from Gibson. Gibson locks on the figure four and Arn comes in to break it up, but Morton gets Arn into figure four and the Express are rolling. The horsemen get out via some eye rakes, but Arn is cleared from the ring, as is Flair, thanks to a shove from Randy Anderson, who has already had enough of Flair's <laughs> shit. He is just, you know, Flair is on notice when he comes to the ring. Yeah. If Randy Anderson isn't there, Flair is like permanently on notice. <laughs> and I, I think was this was this one of those situations where he just out of nowhere shoves a referee. Yeah, it's yes. not. They're not arguing. He just no. like turns around and shoves him. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Flair throws a tantrum and exchanges some more shoves with Anderson on the outside as we go to commercial. He fucking hate him and Randy Anderson have a good time, man. I just I love the fact we're going to commercial as as Flair's getting shoved to the floor by a referee (laughs) who looks like he's a hundred and thirty pounds. If even yeah, he's he's not only a referee but like the tiniest referee. As we come back, Morton gets a couple of arm drags on Arn, who retreats to his corner and tags in Flair. Flair comes in and begs for mercy from Morton, but then jabs a thumb in his eye, followed by a series of chops. Morton fights out of the corner with some punches as the announcers talk about Kevin Green's training. Brain claims that the first six weeks of NFL minicamp are just are just looking at the ball and seeing which side the seams are on. <laughs> I, I, I like that line, too. <laughs> Flair brings Arn back in, and he hits a knee drop on a prone Morton before stomping his head. He rubs Ricky's face in the mat and tosses him to the outside where Flair whips him into a guardrail and chops him some more. Morton gets back in the ring where Arn continues to take him apart with a hammer lock and a body slam onto one arm before getting an arm breaker hold locked on. He tags in Flair who continues working the arm while also getting in some more chops. Gibson tries to get the crowd on the side of the express but is met mostly with boos from the Flair faithful. Arn comes back in and after some back and forth he hits the spine buster for two that's broken up by Gibson. Flair comes in and continues the attack on Morton, including a very nice delayed vertical suplex for a two count. Bischoff reminds us all how Flair has driven Savage crazy, and Randy is currently banned from WCW TV until he gets help. Arn works a headlock for a very long time as woman screams for some reason. Like, her guy is in control, and she's screaming bloody murder. Yeah. 
Morton escapes with some elbows and locks on a sleeper hold, but Arn counters it into a side suplex. In comes Flair, who goes for the figure four, but Morton turns it into a small package for two. Morton tries for a sunset flip, but Flair doesn't go down and hits some punches instead. Back in is the enforcer, who gets in a front face lock, and the crowd is booing the horseman now, as things have gotten quite boring. <laughs> Morton fights his way toward the babyface corner, but Anderson kicks Gibson off the uh, apron as Bischoff freaks out over how Heenan has left the booth. We see Heenan make his way to the ring, where he has words with Liz and Woman before walking away. Meanwhile, Morton has escaped the headlock, and both men are on the mat after Arn ate a punch from Gibson in the corner. Randy Anderson starts a count on both men, but they get to their feet and both hit tags to Flair and Gibson. Gibson's hot tag gets very little reaction as he nails Arn with a, and gets a body slam on Flair, and then another body slam for Arn. He gets dropkick on Flair and an enziguri on Arn. The Express then get double dropkicks on both Flair and Anderson as the crowd goes mild. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Soon Gibson has Flair against the ropes, but Elizabeth is now distracting Randy Anderson, so he misses woman jump up on the ring and rake Gibson's eyes. Arn then hits the DDT, also unseen by Anderson, and Flair gets the 1-2-3, despite Morton standing inches away, watching impotently. <laughs> <laughs> like, he knows it's the finish, so he can't interfere, right. but he's accidentally way too close. <laughs> Bischoff fills in the blanks uh, and figures out that Bobby told Woman and Liz what to do in order to seal that victory, which seems kind of odd, as they managed to do that in virtually every Flair and Arn match without any instruction from anybody. Right. Uh, I thought that match was okay. It was not bad. Yeah. Um, at times the crowd was a little dead and, and maybe even a little feisty. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, it was pretty good. I just, I don't have any interest in seeing the rock and roll express in 1996. Yeah. I believe by 1997 they're in WWF and I did not have any interest in seeing them there during, <laughs> and they go to WWF and turn heel and it's even worse. Oh, really? Yeah. They're like, they, um, was this during their like little NWA yes. revival thing? Yep. Yeah. yeah. They turn heel and align themselves with Jim Cornette, even though he managed the, uh, Midnight Express against them for many, many years. It's just the whole thing makes no sense. It's yeah. terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, seeing them in WCW is bad. The NWA invasion in WWF next year is bad. Just it's these guys need to retire. Yeah. Uh, let's go to an audio clip as Mean Gene is at the VIP table with Flair Arn and the ladies. All right, Eric, I don't know if I can really clear anything up here, but Arn Anderson, I'm going to start with you, ladies, if you would, please. Arn Anderson, I saw you out here earlier with a Steve McMichael jersey. Uh, what, what's the meaning of that? Apparently, I'm too big and thick to play pro football because McMichael's jersey had my chest growing out of the neck of it. My kid, who's 10, would have barely got that shirt over his head. Do you understand what I'm saying, McMichaels? Not only are we tougher, better athletes, Apparently, we're way too big. All right, uh, thank you very much. Now, Ric Flair, now all of a sudden you show up with Kevin Green's number 91 jersey for the Carolina Panthers. Where in the devil did you get that? It means that Deborah loves the nature boy, not Dallas. They were a gift from Deborah McMichael. Now, Kevin Green, <laughs> whether you like it, Kevin Green, or you don't like it, this goes to the entire Panther organization. 
the NFL. It doesn't matter. We are bigger, we are faster, we are sleeker, and we are all night long. All right, Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan, I couldn't help but notice, and I want to bring you out here. The Coupe de Gras is now. You said something to a woman, you conversed with her at ringside, and then all of a sudden we saw a little chicanery. You're responsible for this, I'm certain. No, I'm not. I went up to a woman and merely suggested to her that I know a good place where she can get her diamonds cleaned if she sh should want to. But now you want to ask me something. You of course, ask you know, world. whatever I tried to ask you last night, you wouldn't give me a straight answer. Well, you ask me now for all the people. Are you going to manage Ric Flair and Arn Anderson at the Great American Bash when they meet Steve McMichael and Kevin Green? Ladies, you don't know the answer. Gentlemen, you don't and you don't. But I know the answer is very simple. Since I have not been managing, I've been, uh, people have come from all over the world, all every organization, and have asked me to manage. They've offered me money, homes, cars, anything you could think of. And you're on the tape. And I, well, I do like money, yes, but I turned them down for the simple reason I promised myself I'd never manage again. And I'm going to keep that promise. You're not Gentlemen, I am sorry. I wish you the best of luck. I gave myself, oh, I promised no. myself. You guys, what about the girls? I will never manage. What about the girls? The girls, thank you. I am sorry. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Now, you're not offering flesh. Bobby Heenan, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Yes. Wait a minute. What? I mean, something you could certainly. What is this, a Halliburton? What is this? Now, in 1988, I won the All Madden Trophy. I was the manager of John Madden's team. Now, everybody respects John Madden. I'm on the back here with the names of, like, Joe Montana, uh, Mike Ditka, Tom Landry, and right down here it says manager Bobby Heenan. Well, I said I'd never manage again, but in Baltimore, I will coach. I will be at ringside. You have got to be put No, no, I will be at ringside. And I'm going to show those football players what coaching is all about. You think you've been out coached? You don't know what out coaching means. You guys will be sitting in the locker room underneath the bench for so long wondering what the heck happened. I'll tell you what happened. The brain is back coaching. I think Greed perhaps might have reared its ugly head again here as we witness it on set. Can I end this with a jig? They can. Stay all night, they can stay a little longer. You can, uh, they can dance all night. Thank you. Woo! This guy is just you incredible. Can... Bobby Heenan coaching. I can't believe it. Eric, it's official. He will coach. So as you can hear there, Arn is simply too thick and muscular for Mongo's journey. <laughs> journey? Jersey. <laughs> I, uh, he's probably too thick and muscular for that journey of yeah. Mongo as well. Uh, no, I have what, he, what, what Arn Anderson says is, apparently I'm too big and thick to play football. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's like praising. <laughs> <laughs> Wrestlers are tougher, better athletes, and way too big. <laughs> Flair says the jerseys were a gift from Deborah, and then goes on about how wrestlers are better than football players. Flair then yells, "The Coupe de Gras is now." <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> the Coupe de Gras is now. <laughs> I, f I hope I remember that because I would love to just yell that at random moments the in my own life. The Coupe de Gras is now. 
Gene asks Heenan about uh, the allegations that he uh, he told the women what to do. Bobby says he only told women about a good place to get her diamonds cleaned, and he then declines the opportunity to manage the horseman as he will never manage again. Flair cries, what about the girls? Because <laughs> Flair really wants those women to get laid. <laughs> Heenan does bring down the metal briefcase, which has an award in it. Bobby explains it is the 1988 All Madden Trophy, uh, which is an award that John Madden gave out annually to his favorite players from that season. And as apparently as a goof or something, Bobby Heenan was indeed named the manager of the 1998 edition of the All Madden team. (laughs) Bobby tells us that he said he would never manage again, but at the Great American Bash, he will coach. Flair closes the promo by singing some of the jingle for Big Red Gum, only he's clearly meaning it about sex. (laughs) Make it last a little longer. I know, you're not talking about the cinnamon flavor of Big Red. (laughs) Wait, that's sex talk. As we go to commercial, we see that the Giant, the current WCW champion, uh, he says a couple words about how badass he is, followed by a solid 30 seconds of Hulk Hogan talking about how great he is. Yeah. The champion is definitely second banana uh, to Hogan, who is not even around, and we don't know when he's coming back. Right. I, I just wanted to mention that Bobby Heenan still cuts a really good heel promo. He does. He's, yeah. Few can touch that guy when he's motivated. Yeah. And and he d- he did. He comes off very convincingly as being like just insulted by the idea that football players think they can just come into the wrestling ring right. and and hang with the best. So uh, I think adding him kind of because on the other side with McMichael and Kevin Green kind of being dopish and yeah. like not very charismatic, it's good to throw some more like interesting characters yes. into this. Yeah, if this is and if you if you watch these episodes. It's very clear by the announcing uh, that this is the number one program in the company right now because during almost every match that we cover, they spend a good 30 to 50% of it talking about Flair and Anderson, Mongo Mm -hmm. and Kevin Green. The conversation among the announcers is constantly coming back to this match and this feud. Yeah. Uh, So it's clear that they're they're putting all their eggs in that basket as far as the buy rate and everything goes. So you're right. The more kind of gizmos and and, um, gimmicks they can throw in. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I said gizmos. They're not out there like (laughs) with, I don't know, slap chops or something. Uh, But anyway, the the more things they can add to the match to try to get interest, uh, I, I say the better. We now have to go to commercial, and during the commercial, we get uh, that uh, Glacier is coming to WCW promo we saw last week, so mm-hmm. that runs again. Bischoff and Brain then hype the tag match at Bash a little more before we go to another fucking Hogan package. Uh, this one is just his theme, along with highlights of him beating dudes, no, uh, notably Vader. Um, they show him beating up Vader a lot because Vader is now off in WWF, and, and they're pissed. Right. Um, and also the giant... Even though the giant is still here and is still the fucking champion, yeah. <laughs> yep. it would not be hard to cut this promo without having shots of him beating up the giant. It's so stupid, and also body slamming him because they yeah. show they show him body slamming him, and it's still one of the aspects of like it's hard to beat him because you can't get him off his feet. Right? Yeah, I know Hogan has done it once or twice, but you shouldn't emphasize that while he's champion because all the people he's facing currently are completely incapable of doing it. So. Right. Well, as we uh, come back from that package, we hear the awesome sounds of Ice Train's theme, which I really, really love. Uh, and he is out to face the giant, and my good friend Dave is right here to tell you all about it. <laughs> um, also, at this point, um, 
from the Hogan promo, Eric Bischoff mentions that on August 10th, they're going to have the Hog Wild pay-per-view in Sturgis. And uh, he kind of hints at the fact that Hogan's going to be there. So, I mean, I can kind of see why they did the Hogan promo that way. But but still, he's getting way too much attention considering he's not in the company right now. And I don't think it really helps the ratings to remind people that Hogan is a thing. Because it's not like he's showing up next week. Yeah, just it just focuses on the thing you don't have. Yeah. Uh, current number one contender for the World Heavyweight title, Ice Train, is out. And Heenan does a really good job of uh, hyping up the fact that Ice Train is getting a once-in-a-lifetime shot. Yeah. Instead of being like, this, this he's just going to get squashed. It's like, you know, Giant's offering him a match. He's putting his title on the line. Ice Train better be ready because he might not have the shot again. So I think considering how obviously one-sided this is, Heenan's doing the best he can to make this, like, work out. Uh, we then hear that Fire and Ice are going to be facing the uh, Steiner Brothers at the Great American Bash, which I'm pretty excited about. The last two times they faced on, on Nitro, they were really, like, awesome, like, just, like, physical matches. And uh, they're saying that this is going to be, like, there must be a winner. Yeah. Um. So I just hope that we just get, like, this huge brawl between these four guys. Yeah, that sounds like a really exciting match. I love Fire. I love Ice. Mm-hmm. I like, you know, I like both those guys. Uh, I don't know what it is about Ice Train, but he really, I really like him. He's, yeah. you know, um, I think the OSW review guys talk about their boys all the time. Sort of a list of guys that never made it big, but mm-hmm. they like. Yeah. And I would definitely call Ice Train one of my boys. Like, yeah. I really dig that guy. Yeah. Um, I just, I like his, like his, his unique ring presence where yeah. he's kind of like kind of dancing on his feet a lot. It's just... It's different, yeah, and it it's just there's some sort of strange appeal to him. And I also like the fact that like he's teaming with Scott Norton, who walks to the ring just sullen, yeah, and not I mean barely acknowledging anyone. And Ice Train's just like whoop whoop, all aboard <laughs> Ice Train, and he's just like shouting nonsense yeah, all the time. Yeah, they're perfect. Those two together were perfect. So I mean, naturally they'll probably break them up or something. Like that. <laughs> um. And as the Giant comes in the ring, Heenan yet again has great managerial advice about coaching up the Giant. He says you should build his confidence and make him feel like a champion. Mm-hmm. That way the match is won before he even steps into the ring because his confidence is going to uh, just pretty much intimidate his opponent. Right. But he was making some really good points of, of what Jimmy Hart should do. They also, uh, I noticed when the Giant came out, there was some kind of like green pyro for him. I don't recall that before. It was that, I thought um, that was, did you think that was new pyro? I didn't even, I didn't catch the pyro. Okay, the I was just wondering. Um, I know they, they kind of do like the, the green lighting for him, but. Yeah. Um, the two wrestlers stare each other down as the bell rings. Uh, Ice Train just breathing and staring like really intensely. While the Giant, uh, he, it looks like the Giants kind of sizing him up, trying to figure out how he's going to defeat this opponent. So, I the stare down I felt felt worked really well. Yeah. Uh, so the Giant the Giant decides he's uh gonna go and stretch on the ropes for a bit, but Ice training his game and he does the same thing. The, meanwhile, Jimmy Hart successfully distracts Ice Train long enough for the Giant to grab him and hit the choke slam. Oh boy. Oh, the Giant with a nonchalant cover and flexes for the three count. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I I hated um, this entire thing. Yeah, I mean, it. I don't. It's not going to hurt the Giants' character to give a few minutes, right? Uh, and and it would definitely help Ice Train. 
if he got a few minutes wrestling someone like the Giant. And it would just help the Giant develop as a wrestler to wrestle televised matches. Yes. <laughs> and so I, I, I think he's got the choke slam move down, so yeah. <laughs> he doesn't need more practice on that. Yeah, and uh, and I just think Ice Train, it kind of goes back to you know something we've talked about before with the um, last week with Pittman versus DDP. Uh, both of these guys are too green to make each other look all that good. Yeah. I I like aspects of both. I was just talking about a bunch of other guys train. I like the Giant. I think the Giant I don't I think even though he's so green it makes sense to have the belt on him given his size and mm-hmm. and with those guys sort of the longer they're around the more normalized they become. So put the yeah. belt on him while he's still special. Yeah. No problem with that. But he should not be having his TV matches with guys who are also new and inexperienced. Right. Yeah, I mean because he's he's shown that he can beat veterans. I mean, he beat Ric Flair for the title, uh, so I he should be facing maybe maybe they're not like high card wrestlers, but lower card wrestlers that are veterans and right. like more recognizable names. Norton confronts uh, the Giant, and Norton is angry about the cheap victory. Giant makes like he's going to leave, but when Norton turns his back uh, to check on Ice Train, Giant attacks him with a pair of choke slams. Brain says that Giant will choke slam anybody, any place, as trainers rush to the ring to see to fire and ice. I hate this even more. I hate burying Ice Train as a team. I mean, th- their whole thing as a team is these are two huge, powerful guys. Yeah. And now one guy has easily taken them out. Yeah. It It's just, uh, I don't care for it at all. Um, I mean, I'm all for building up the Giant as an unstoppable force, right. but this is also just too damaging for his opponents. If you want to build up the Giant at the sacrifice of a team, make it high voltage, you know? Make it somebody like yeah. that who, who even if you wanted to rebuild them, you've got plenty of time. But, like, mm-hmm. Fire Nice are just starting to make a name for themselves, and they're supposed to have a pay-per-view match in two weeks. Yeah. How does this help sell pay-per-views to see... That these guys who are going to be in there against the Steiners yeah. can just get wiped out like this. It's stupid. Now let's go to an audio clip as Mean Gene is with the Giant. Let's take it. Gino, go ahead. Why are you running film packages on Hulk Hogan? He's not the world heavyweight champion. Wait a minute. I am. Hulk Hogan. I don't want to see any more of Hulk Hogan. I'm the one that eliminated Hulk Hogan is no longer in the picture. Let me tell you, I take it out of state. Ric Flair, the Macho Man, and my friend Lex Luger. I'm gonna call you my friend because it's on my personal agenda. You're the total package I want to eliminate most. You're in that. You got almost between me and Jimmy. That was a mistake. You're getting my territory. You try to take my belt. You can't even carry the ones you got now, let alone the World Heavyweight Championship. Luger, you come and get some. You're mine. All right, I don't think that this guy would ever be called a graduate of Charm School, but my, oh my, how he has changed in recent weeks. Eric Bischoff, let's get back. So there you go. At least they've taken the, the thing that I was bothered about with the... Um, the promo time for Hogan compared yeah. to the promo time for Giant, and they've made it into a little bit of a storyline as the Giant is pissed about it. Giant also addresses his upcoming Great American Bash opponent, Lex Luger, the highlight of which is his saying that Luger can't even carry the two belts that Luger already has, <laughs> which is an interesting article. Like, you don't even... Ar- argument. You, you don't even want my belt. You can't carry those two you already have. <laughs> You'll have too many belts. <laughs> you have enough belts as it is. <laughs> 
After a commercial, we come back, and uh, Scott Norton is still laid out in the ring, even though he is supposed to be wrestling Hugh Morris right now. Uh, Bischoff says, obviously, that match won't be taking place. Obviously. Yeah, so, obviously, it totally will. <laughs> right. And, in fact, Morris's music plays, and out he comes with new stupid eyebrow makeup. Yeah. <laughs> Morris hits the ring and gets a leg drop on Norton. Nick Patrick is in the ring, but noticeably, no bell rings. Uh, so Nick Patrick is in there treating it like a match, and there was a match scheduled, but the bell never rang, and a bell isn't supposed to ring if a guy starts off injured. That's like a well-established part of pro wrestling. Right. <laughs> uh, but Morris covers Norton with a single finger, and Nick Patrick inexplicably does count a pin. <laughs> he counts two, but Morris lifts that finger up. He then drops a series of elbow and screams in Norton's face. Bischoff says he's not sure that Norton isn't having a mild seizure, yeah. which that's that's tasteless. That's over the line of what I think an announcer should be saying. Right. No, I agree. I, I did not like that at all. Morris goes up for no laughing matter, but Norton surprisingly gets to his feet unseen by Morris. What's supposed to happen here is Morris is going to do his moonsault mm -hmm. and Norton will catch him and then presumably like power slam him or pile drive him or something. Yeah. Um, but. That's a ridiculous idea because Hugh Morris is gigantic. Right. There's no way that could yeah. have worked. Yeah. Scott Norton is strong, but the other guy is just too big. Too big, and his movement in a moonsault is too uncontrolled. Yeah. I mean, you have some control of your body in a moonsault, but you're flinging yourself backward, ankles over your head. There's there's no way either guy can control that enough to make this work. Yeah. It's just you, you feel like someone told them, it's like, yeah, then you catch him. Right. Because you, you're strong. You can catch him. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, Norton catching, like, uh, Mr. JL like this would make perfect sense. Yeah. Even, like, an Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. But a Hugh Morris, not a chance. Right. There is zero chance they ever practice this to see <laughs> right. if it could be done. I sure hope they didn't <laughs> practice it. So, instead, what happens is Morris does his moonsault. He flops into in Norton. Norton tries to catch him, but fails. Mm -hmm. And Morris just kind of slumps to the ground. And Norton punches him in the face a couple times before getting a three count. <laughs> so, like, the finishing move is a couple, like, weak punches because he doesn't know what the hell else to do. <laughs> it, I guess, would have been cool had it been pulled off. But as it happened, it really sucked. Yeah. Uh, we go to a commercial, and in June's issue of WCW Magazine, we'll get inside the mind of the giant. Ooh. We come back, and Bischoff tosses it to a training video of Mongo and Kevin Green, who are trying to get used to wrestling rings. <sighs> <laughs> the highlight of this video is probably Mongo jumping in the air and then landing on his knees to, I guess, get used to horrible knee pain? <laughs> I don't know what that's supposed to teach him other than doing that hurts. If you're in the match and you think you should jump and land on your knees, don't. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> they also show them coming up with a game plan. I got the game plan. Check this out. Storm me, baby. Okay. Storm me. All right. I'm here. I'm on the apron. Okay. I'm watching you and protecting your back. This is you, baby. You got to come hard and low with a cross body block here. Then you got to get in a four-point stance. football. This is it. Four-point stance like you're in goal line. You got to penetrate on their side of football, and you got to make the play in the back, in the back of the line of scrimmage, right there, tackle for a loss, baby. Oh, I can see what you're talking. Wait just a minute. Let me get, oh. get over in the chair. Wait a minute. You're talking football, baby. Yeah, that's right. I know you want to get in that ring and just rip their head exactly, off. Exactly, exactly. I don't know about that, baby. 
Yeah, they can counter. Hey, remove these boys have been in the business a long time. Now here's us. I'm gonna put us as the X's, and I'm gonna put them up as the O's because yep. they're zero. Definitely zero. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, baby. The first thing we gotta do is watch out for their signature holes. Yeah. You know the nature boy in that figure four. Yeah. He starts picking that leg up. Do yeah. everything you can to get I've out of there. I've seen that. I've seen that. All right, Anderson. He's got that DDT, DDT, baby. He'll try to drive your head through the match. Yeah. You gotta stay out of that. That stuff really doesn't matter when you come across and you start racking and sacking. And you're planning for a tackle for a loss, baby. I know. We're wrestling now, baby. And another thing about wrestling and tag teams, you don't want to get your little ex all the way over here in their corner because them zeros will take care of you. But you gotta penetrate, you baby. Got, you gotta penetrate the line of scrimmage on their side of the football. You gotta keep you gotta keep everything on your side of the map. Wait a second, I man. Can, I can see we're gonna be at odds here. Man, we're butting heads, man. I don't know. What do we we, we gotta got, get together? We what what can bring us together, we baby? We gotta find somebody to coach us to, to manage us. A manager would be great. That's it. A coach. Are, are you thinking what I'm thinking? The macho, yeah! Slip. Oh yeah, Coach Macho! We gotta get. I know he's. I know they banned him from wrestling, but I wonder if he can still manage. You got the phone number, baby. We gotta get it. We gotta find it. Call him. Come let's on, go. let's go. Okay. This mostly involves Kevin Green standing in front of a whiteboard uh, that has game plan written, not written on it. They have like printed lettering that has been like i don't know taped i don't, I don't know how it's been attached to the whiteboard but it says game plan yeah and then someone has hand drawn a ring with two stick figures inside of it <laughs> yep <laughs> and kevin dreen draws up a play or whatever <laughs> which involves him watching from the apron as mongo hits a crossbody and then gets on their side of the football and get a tackle for a loss <laughs> he He's supposed to wrestle a match in two weeks, and he still thinks you tackle someone for a loss. Yeah. And he also repeatedly talks about their need to get penetration. <laughs> like, he says that way too often. <laughs> I think he knows what he's doing. <laughs> Ma- he knows what he's talking about. Mongo suggests an alternative plan of avoiding the figure four in the DDT. Green watches excitedly while munching on a Slim Jim that's appeared from nowhere in his hand. <laughs> he also keeps... Con- <laughs> He also continually yells about penetrating past the line of scrimmage. <laughs> Basically, I mean, it comes down to an argument where he, Kevin Green keeps insisting on this penetration idea, which comes down to, like, he wants to fight over on the heel side of the ring. Yeah. And Mongo is saying, like, that's dumb in wrestling, in tag team wrestling, you want to keep them by your corner of the ring. Right. And they decide that they'll never agree and they need a coach. <laughs> and the aforementioned Slim Jim provides an epiphany and they run off to call the Macho Man to see if he will coach them. <laughs> this segment is hilarious. <laughs> Unintentionally so. Yeah. But I, I ended up loving it because it was so friggin' funny. <laughs> Just like, do you think we, we can teach ourselves how to wrestle? Well, we don't know what side of the ring to be on, so maybe not. <laughs> Should we call that guy who's banned from wrestling right now? <laughs> yeah, that seems like a good idea. <laughs> I mean, I am eating this product he endorses, so why not? <laughs> Who should help us out with this? Uh, how about the guy that needs professional help? <laughs> <laughs> well, after that, Steinerized plays, and out to the ring come the Steiner brothers to a largely heel reception. Sting and Luger head out to a much more babyface reaction from the crowd. Before the match starts off, Bischoff says that the Macho Man has phoned the show and they will try to locate a phone and patch him through to the broadcast. <laughs> patch him through. They, they just put a phone on the table. <laughs> 
Scott and Sting start off in the ring as we cut to a split screen just so we can see that, indeed, Bischoff is holding a phone. <laughs> I would have believed this if I didn't see the split screen. I don't know why they have to show me him <laughs> holding a telephone. Right. Scott suplexes Sting as Macho lists off the things he's banned from doing. Wrestling on TV. Wrestling on pay-per-view. Can't have any world title matches. But mm-hmm. it doesn't say that he can't coach. And just remember, there's nothing in the rule book that says a monkey can't play baseball. <laughs> we see we see a tilt-a-whirl slam from Steiner on Sting as the Macho Man says if Green and Mongo need a nut to lead their team, he'll be the head cashew. <laughs> Oh, savage. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the fa- when he was listing off the things he can't do. Yeah. Uh, not only was I expecting the butt, I knew how he was going to say it, too. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> Steiner is dropped chest first onto the top rope by Sting as Bischoff hands the phone to Bobby. Heenan tries to talk Macho out of it while the Stinger hits a clothesline and a bulldog before tagging in Lex, who comes in with kicks to the down Scott Steiner. Macho Man rejects Bobby's pleased, uh, much to Bischoff's delight. Steiner clubs Luger's back before hitting a butterfly suplex for a one count as we go to commercial. We come back and Rick Steiner now has Luger in an arm-focused rest hold. I, I don't know what it was specifically. Yeah, okay. Luger fights to his feet and comes off the ropes into a flying clothesline from Rick, and I now realize uh, that the Steiners aren't getting just necessarily a heel reaction. Some of it is people barking at Rick, which I had been mishearing as a lot of booze. Oh, gotcha. Uh, I, so I didn't amend my notes. I wanted to take the audience through my journey. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, gets <a> one ca- <laughs> Rick gets a one count before setting Luger on the second rope for a big belly-to-belly suplex. Rick goes to the top rope for a nice top rope bulldog. Uh, very hard to get, you know, I'm a stickler on the bulldog for getting, you know, good headlock. Yeah. And it's even tougher when you're jumping from the top rope, but he does a great job. There's a reason they call him the dog face gremlin, I guess. I don't, Never mind. I'm cutting that out. That was stupid. <laughs> <sighs> the bulldog gets a one count broken up by Sting, much to the consternation of Scott Steiner. Sting is tagged in and hits a stinger splash in the corner before locking on the scorpion deathlock. Scott Steiner breaks it up with a clothesline and Luger comes in and they start jawing at each other. Rick tags in Scott, who hits a big belly-to-belly on Sting. He then puts Sting uh, seated on the top turnbuckle before hitting the Frankensteiner, but Lex breaks up the pin. Sting, who took a Frankensteiner like 10 seconds ago, counters a suplex attempt into a reverse DDT. (laughs) That's a very athletic, like, flip-around move into the DDT for a guy who just ate, like, a pretty devastating top rope finisher. Yeah. (laughs) Sting tags in Lex, who gets a power slam and gets Scott up in the torture rack, but Rick kicks him in the gut, and the action spills to the outside. Luger tries to suplex Scott on the outside, but Rick kicks him in the gut in shades of last week's action. Back in the ring, Rick, still not the legal man, gets a flying clothesline on Lex. Sting and Scott come in, and it's an all-out brawl, now in opposite corners. Eventually, Sting and Rick end up on the outside, where Sting nails Rick against the guardrail. He goes for what might be a powerbomb, but Rick reverses it into a back body drop. Suddenly, the giant is out, and he very gently choke slams Rick on the concrete. Because <laughs> they're on the concrete, and yeah. he doesn't, he's still doing the choke slam where he lays his whole body out, too, instead of just standing there. Right. So he doesn't want to land on the concrete. And he, <laughs> right. does, he doesn't want to, like, I mean, that would hurt Rick, too. So it's the most gentle choke slam I've ever seen. <laughs> he didn't get all of it, says Bischoff, uh, in the thing announcers always say when a botch happens. <laughs> Scott Steiner is thrown over the top rope by Luger and goes right into a cameraman. The Giant enters the ring to confront the man he will face in two weeks at the Great American Bash. 
Luger runs into the giant with punches as the bell starts ringing. Luger ducks a giant punch and hits many of his own, but the giant overpowers him and throws him into the corner. Luger still holds his own against the giant, and soon Scott Steiner and Sting join him, and all three are attacking the giant. Giant ends up on the ropes, and Sting and Scott whip Luger into the big man, sending him up and over the top rope. The giant lands on his feet and tosses a chair in the ring, but Jimmy Hart manages to convince the big guy to leave. Bobby begs Macho Man not to get involved with the pay-per-view, basically forgetting everything that's just happened in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> He's just back to his own storyline. Right. He offers his all-Madden trophy to Savage as sort of a consolation prize. <laughs> Why would he want that? <laughs> Scott Hall then shows up and makes his way towards the booth. Heenan announces, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> yes. And Bischoff is left all alone. Bischoff stands to confront him, but Hall shoves him back down in his chair. And it's one of these times where you realize Scott Hall is a lot bigger than you remember him. Yeah. You don't think of him as, like, necessarily a super tall guy, but he is. He's a real, real big dude. Mm -hmm. Hall has found a mic, and let's now go to an audio clip. Hey, wait. Wait a minute. I'm getting out of here. Wait a minute. Not again. Not again. Look, you hit. You hit. Man. Just relax, Chico. Yo, Kinder. I have such a good time last week that I came back for more. Look, there's look, no man, reason. Look, 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 look. Relax, man. Relax. You started it. You want to go to war? You got a war. You started it. We going to finish it. What do you mean, we? You're coming up with this you we know stuff who, again. Man. I don't see You know anybody. who. Hey, did Daddy Warbucks, he get his money yet? Hey. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Singer. Wait a minute, Singer. Not here, not now. Look, don't even dignify it, man. You came out here last week That's right. and said some real horrible things about WCW. Some real horrible things about the Hulkster, about Macho Man, about the Stinger. Somewhere along the way, you got lost because you have any idea where you are? You're in the jungle, baby! This is WCW! That's right! Hold on! And every week you come out here, you say you want three of the best. The that's right, that's right, man. Three of the best, man. Three of the best. Three of the you want three of the best. I don't see two with you. All I see is you and me. So why don't we just do this one-on-one -on -one right here, right now? Yo. Yo. You want to fight, man? You want to fight? You got one. Only nobody tells me what to do. And Chico, nobody tells me when to do it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Huh? Okay. Okay, tough guy. I got a little, no. I got a big surprise for you next week. Next 
There you go, uh, Scott, with the famous line, you want to go to war? You got a war. You started it. We going to finish it. Mm-hmm. And when Bischoff asks who we are, you know who is the answer from Mr. Hall. <laughs> yep. Sting then shows up, but Bischoff asks him not to dignify Hall. He's really upset, obsessed with the idea of dignifying Hall. Right, yeah. Sting defends the honor of WCW, Hulk, Macho Man, and himself. He tells Hall he's in the jungle now. He also complains that every week Hall comes out and says he wants three of the best in WCW, even though Hall's every week, <laughs> even though Hall's only been on two weeks, and he only said that last week and never said it this week, which Sting clearly has not been able to hear walking from the ring. Right. So that was a nice little botch. I I'm assuming Hall forgot to get it in there earlier because it would make sense that Sting would say I don't know, uh, but definitely it just Sting thinks that Hall would have said that, but Hall did not say that. Yeah. Uh, Sting says that Hall doesn't have two more, so why don't they just fight one-on-one right now? Hall says that he wants to fight, but nobody tells him what to do or when. He tosses a toothpick at Sting, who slaps Hall before Doug Dillinger and security show up to keep the two apart. Hall promises a little, no, a big surprise next week before he's let off by security, and that is the end of our show. Whoo! Yeah. It uh, it really went zero to sixty in that last segment there. Yeah, that what I made a note that the uh, this post show appearance was went a lot better than last week. I agree. I agree. I also before because it would be easy to skip past it given all those developments, but uh, I think that Sting Luger Steiner match was good. I was really liking it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I get that you got two babyface teams and you kind of need a fuck finish, so it doesn't bother me right. the way that it went. Um, but it was what we saw was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't. I would not mind if the Steiners went heel and started challenging for those belts on like a serious basis. Yeah. Uh, so Dave, that's our show. Who was your MVP? I'm gonna give my MVP to Sting, who uh, has the distinction of being involved in three feuds. I think you mean the distinction. Yeah. <laughs> No, I didn't mean that. Oh, oh, that's yeah, right. Why would you? <laughs> Not a word. Because uh, he has a feud with the Steiner brothers, with Lord Steven Regal, yep. and now with the invading guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he wrestled in the main event, and he uh, got the first response from WCW by just slapping the hell out of Scott Hall. Yep. <laughs> he made a count when he got it. Well, you know that I'm a sucker for guys pointing at their brain when they've been smart. So my MVP <laughs> of the show is the Disco Inferno, baby. Nice. <laughs> uh, you made a really good point in that he shows how you can look strong in losing, how you can enhance your character, right. your brand, and show why you should be on our TVs each and every week. Yeah. Um, and, God, he was just great. So I, I just I, like <laughs> how he said he was going to hit me with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> when it's like a submission move so it's not really yeah. your, don't get hit with it <laughs> in in my uh match slash segment of the night i'm going with a segment and it is going to be the hall sting confrontation from the end uh it really like you said it's one thing to be out there jong at announcers um but to come out there and actually have like one of the company's biggest and most long-standing stars mm-hmm. uh be the other side of that confrontation uh magnifique i really i quite enjoyed it yeah uh, well, then mine is going to be a segment as well, and it's going to be the promo by uh, Bobby Heenan. Um, like I said before, he still gives a really good heel promo, yeah. and I feel like adding him will also help cover up you know, the, the, um, the weaknesses of uh, Mongo and Green as far as like 
because their promo was awful. Yeah. Um, but adding him into it, I think makes makes it a lot more intriguing. And and I feel and he just did a really good job throughout the show of uh, like hyping up Ice Train's championship match yep. and uh, um, Sting making the risk of uh, jumping to the outside or what was that last week? No, it was last week. Sorry. Yeah. Um, How dare you? But no, he. I I just felt like that he was he was just on tonight and uh, yeah so. Specifically, that promo, though. All right. Uh, in our Raw recap, in King of the Ring qualifying, we saw uh, the ringmaster, Steve Austin, defeat mm-hmm. Bob Hawley. Mankind defeated Barry Horowitz. The Godwins defeated Techno Team 2000. Ooh. Yeah, right. And Jake the Snake defeated Hunter Hearst Helmsley as uh, Triple H's punishment for the curtain call is officially underway. Oh, that's right. I think, uh, you know, history... Well, I don't mind spoiling some of the WWF stuff that happens. Yeah. Uh, That, of course, King of the Ring that that they're qualifying for is one that he was originally intended to win. Mm -hmm. um, But due to the shenanigans of the curtain call, he is now going to be buried. And the man who won that first match, uh, Austin, will, of course, go on to win that King of the Ring tournament cut the one of the most famous promos of all time and become yep. uh quite possibly the biggest star that the sport has ever seen yeah so it worked out really well for wwf but like for something that seems like so innocent as a curtain call yeah he triple h is essentially punished for a full year it's and it's amazing the fact that michaels is just as guilty but he's a bigger star so he just he, nothing can't blame him no it's it's incredible i hate triple h but he didn't really deserve the treatment he got for that incident. (laughs) All right. In our ratings roundup, uh, uh, you remember last week raw was coming off a pay-per-view. And so they were able to withstand the onslaught of uh, Scott Hall appearing on the very first two hour show. Mm -hmm. Well, this week raw has pulled in a 2.3. Well, nitro has pulled in a 3.0 average doing a 2.8 in the first hour and a 3.2 in the second hour, which shows a strong uptick as people tuned in to see what, uh, Scott Hall was going to be doing uh, probably and to see that main event um, mm-hmm. of Sting and Luger versus the Steiners. So uh, you can see that even though last week might have been a little disappointing for WCW, uh, it seems like there is some kind of uh, those seeds are beginning to bear fruit almost immediately. So yeah, we will see next week if that continues. I and I feel like we're getting pretty close to the start of the the streak by Nitro. I believe so. Yes, this. This might be the first beginning of it. We will keep an eye on that. Okay. <laughs> I think uh, not to... Well, no, I'm going to save it for, for next week because I think I remember what next week is, but we'll talk about it. Okay. Uh, in our wrestling news over on Raw, Vince McMahon has an announcement to share with all of us, and uh, it's pretty important, so let's go to an audio clip. Well, he better hope he wins King of the Ring because for sure this is his last hoorah. And speaking of last hurrahs, of course, Ted DiBiase is at his last hurrah here in the World Wrestling Federation. But likewise, a number of other individuals also have had their last hurrah, no longer associated with the World Wrestling Federation in any manner. Big Daddy Cool Diesel, as well as the bad guy Razor Ramon. And it has been reported that both of these individuals intend to pawn themselves off as the stars they once were here in the WWF. And to furthermore perpetuate some sort of ruse that they're still representing the World Wrestling Federation while actually under contract to a rival organization. And right now, Hunter Hearst Helmsley is taking an exit as it relates to Jake the Snake Roberts. And Jake the Snake thus far has befuddled one Hunter Hearst Helmsley pretty much all the way through this match so well, far. Jake the Snake keeps going for that DDT, but Hunter's going to have none of it. Look at that. Oh, no, no, no. 
By the way, for more information on that reported ruse from former WWF superstars Diesel and Razor, check us out on AOL tonight and the Superstar Live. The America Online message that uh, Vince referred to there says, quote, in an effort to further blur the lines between Ten Turner's wrestling organization and the World Wrestling Federation, Scott Hall, portraying the World Wrestling Federation character Razor Ramon, recently appeared on World Championship Wrestling Television programming. The World Wrestling Federation wants to make it clear that there is no agreement with the Turner organization, nor will there ever be. Therefore, the following letter was sent last week to Scott Hall in effort to make him aware of the copyrights in which he and World Championship Wrestling have infringed. And then uh, this full letter is in here as well. Dear Mr. Hall, this letter will serve to put you on notice of your deliberate infringement of Titan's intellectual property rights in connection with your appearance this past Monday on the WCW Nitro's show. WCW's Nitro show, excuse me. Having reviewed the tape of your appearance, the text of various statements made by you during your appearance, and the explicit references to past and ongoing storylines of Titan Sports, it is obvious that you are attempting by your appearance to suggest to the consuming public that you and others from the WWF were now going to be appearing on Turner Networks in WCW programming as part of some interpromotional matches. The entire theme of the program, buttressed by WCW personnel afterwards, was that the WWF wrestlers were going to be wrestling WCW performers and that you were leading a group of WWF talent in that effort. This is, of course, completely false and was intended to confuse the viewing public. To further this attempt to mislead and confuse the public, you stayed completely within the character portrayal of Razor Ramon, a registered trademark of Titan Sports during your appearance on Nitro. Indeed, both you and WCW personnel never even mentioned the name you intend to wrestle under at WCW, choosing instead to tell the audience that they knew who you were. You dress like Razor Ramon, and you utilize the Hispanic accent given to you by Titan... <laughs> <laughs> given to you by Titan as part of the character portrayal. Titan, of course, has no objection whatsoever to you portraying a new or different character devised by either you or WCW, but will vigorously exercise its rights in connection with your attempt to pawn off or suggest to the consuming public that your WCW appearances are part of a character of Razor Ramon in the capacity as a WWF wrestler or as part of some interpromotional matches involving WWF participation. Accordingly, this is to advise you that Titan has exercised its right under the contract it had with you, and we will be withholding future payments from you until this matter is further clarified. Because, of course, they would still need to pay him for, like, merchandise and oh, sure. residuals that yeah. they still have. Titan further reser reserves all rights it has to take any and all further action as may be appropriate. <sighs> Damning stuff. Wow. <laughs> you wow. clearly enjoyed the idea that they gave him a Hispanic accent. Yes. <laughs> Especially since the story goes that he, he took it from Scarface. Right. And that at the time, Vince McMahon didn't even know what Scarface was. Yep. Yep. So, but uh, all of that kind of screams like, we're mad that we didn't have this idea first. Yes. <laughs> it comes across very insecure. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. It's just like, I, and I have no idea as far as the legal uh, um, ramifications of this, but I, I didn't, if you don't say Razor Ramon, I don't really see how they're infringing. Well, it, I mean, do they, do they have copyrighted the toothpick throw or that? I, well, I believe that things like the toothpick throw and the accent would be considered a part of a fictional character, Razor Ramon, which is the intellectual property of WWF. Mm -hmm. And in fact, 
parts of this um, this dispute over the fact that they are specifically portraying characters and that they are representing themselves as uh, envoys, if you will, of the WWF does go all the way to court. And we will see um, an actual promo on WCW Monday Nitro uh, in, in a few weeks, if not maybe a little over a month, that will directly... Um, uh, that will directly be written in a, such a way as to legally wrap up these questions uh, oh, to sort of sure. um, get it so that we're no longer wrangling them legally. Yeah. So I don't want to get too much into it because mm-hmm. that is kind of a future, um, I don't want to say angle because it's very much real life, but <laughs> it does sort of work itself into an angle. So right. we will talk about that over the weeks to come. On the June 1st ECW Arena show, Brian Pillman came out in a wheelchair, beat up Mikey Whipwreck with a cane, and then cut a promo, which he included uh, the N-word, which nearly started a backstage fight with New Jack. Oh. Oh, Pillman. (laughs) The show also included an appearance by Divine Brown, the prostitute that actor Hugh Grant was caught with in Los Angeles the previous summer. Oh, really? Yeah, you stay classy, ECW. Oh, it was part of a, uh, and this is Meltzer's word, charming storyline, <laughs> where Raven was looking for, quote, a new whore. <laughs> and, quote. <laughs> and kept rejecting women, including Brown, for not being slutty enough. <laughs> oh, boy. Also oh. on June 1st, the World Wrestling Peace Festival was held at the Los Angeles Sports Arena. Originally conceived by New Japan promoter Antonio Inoki as a massive show at the 100,000-seat Los Angeles Coliseum that would feature uh, wrestlers from nearly every major promotion in the United States, Mexico, and Japan. It ended up a relatively small affair uh, with something around 6,000 fans, uh, many of whom did not pay, who saw stars from the WCW, AAA, EMLL, Michinoku Pro, and New Japan all in action. WWF had originally committed to the event, but backed out as their rivalry with WCW heated up. Presumably when they agreed, they thought these guys are chump change, and then around the debut of the first Nitro and such, they were like, oh. Oh. And as that's become more and more serious, they eventually pulled out. Um, And I think they actually even said that they never planned to be a part of it, even though Linda McMahon sent a letter saying that they would. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, Where was I here? And is that Linda McMahon? She's uh, the head of small business or, or oh, what? Don't I don't want to. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> the, ma- the matches were good, but the event itself could only be viewed as a massive disappointment. Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer reports that Bischoff was at the show and was so impressed by a young wrestler using the name Chris Jericho mm. that he offered a deal to Jericho to come to WCW full time. Uh, I've also looked a little bit in that... Uh, Chris Jericho's book and he has a slightly different version but I think I'll save that for uh, later when he makes his debut oh sure in that same issue of the observer Dave also gives uh, cards for the upcoming pay-per-views and interestingly says that Lex Luger will probably be the third man joining Hall and Nash uh, against the team from WCW Hmm. as the incoming Ted DiBiase won't be participating in WCW in a wrestling capacity yeah and uh, the rumored Jeff Jarrett is contractually still locked into WWF, um, at least up until the show, uh, mm-hmm. Bash at the Beach. And and to that point, he was still Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't yeah. think that would have really gone over very strongly. I, I agree with you. <laughs> uh, in our last bit of wrestling news, uh, can you believe it? Brian Christopher defeated Jerry Lawler to win the USWA Heavyweight Championship. 
uh, it's just amazing that someone could claw their way up from the bottom and just based on nothing but their skill and determination, right. win the belt in the Memphis territory. So hats <laughs> off to you, Brian Christopher. <laughs> he ended Jerry Lawler's 37th reign as <laughs> world heavyweight champion. And Jerry Lawler probably won it back like two days later. Uh, for anyone else wondering why we're being snarky, I imagine most of you know, but Brian Christopher, a.k.a. Grandmaster Sexay, is in fact uh, Jerry Lawler's son. So yeah. he was uh, given the belt as a present from dad, despite his complete lack of charisma, skill, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> uh, really, I, ju- I mostly wanted to include this note because I wanted to ask, uh, have you listened to the recently released seed, uh, like album from Brian Christopher? No, I haven't. Uh, it's got some country songs, some rap songs, mm. and it is terrible. Oh, nice. Uh, so I recommend that you all go out to try to find it on YouTube or, or wherever you can listen to any of the songs. Do not pay him for it. Uh, he's yeah. got enough meth already, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I hope no one ever does start listening to the show because we would be sued for libel so many times. (laughs) And uh, maybe by the time you listen to this, um, because the the Royal Rumble 2017 is coming up and it's possible that Jerry Lawler is going to be participating in that too. (laughs) Oh, I don't think after that heart attack. You think they'll let him in a ring again? He's wrestled since then. Not in WWF though. Yeah, true. I mean, they wouldn't clear... You know, guys like Daniel Bryan, I, I just don't see them letting him in after that heart attack. That's yeah. I don't know. Uh, but by the point this is released, that that event will already have happened almost assuredly. So okay. if he entered the ring and died uh, in the Royal Rumble, I'm going to have to edit this whole segment out because it's going to seem in really poor taste. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I don't think it should. <laughs> All right, well, (laughs) did Jerry Lawler die in the Royal Rumble? We'll find out in a week, but you probably already know. (laughs) So you're ahead of us, even though we're right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. Well, look at my face. I mean, you got Ric Flair, master player of human chess. Surrounding him is an endomorphic cyborg enforcement unit named Arn Anderson. And if they lend the gray matter power of Bobby the Brain, it would be like having Joe Montana in their corner.